Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, for that great time of worship here this morning. Aren't you thankful for how great our God is? So good. Amen. Amen. Well, church, uh, I want to welcome everybody here and uh, offer a welcome to you as well, following up from Pastor Walters earlier. And uh, if you're a guest with us here today, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so thankful to have you with us and those of you that are with us online here today. Uh, Speaking of online, if you would like to uh, continue to give to the ministry here at Homes, you can do so at this time. Uh, We will hopefully soon be going back to uh, moving to do things, uh, passing plate, things like that as uh, COVID things are getting a little bit more under control. But if you would like to give, you can give online at homesavenue.com forward slash give, or you can give to one of our ushers on the way out this morning. Um, so uh, first off, uh, before we go further, I just want to say uh, thank you um, for uh, allowing me the opportunity to go and uh, preach over at Cooper River last Sunday. Uh, I had a couple people this week as I was calling to, to pray with some folks. A couple people were like, hey, is everything okay? You haven't been, you, you weren't at church like two times in the last three weeks, and I promise you everything's okay. Nothing crazy going on. I'm not leaving or anything like that. Cooper River just had a couple of needs over the last couple of weeks with Pastor Brett being on vacation, and then also the prayer service three weeks ago for Joe, which I'm happy to report uh, this, uh, this past Tuesday, yeah, this past Tuesday the 1st, Joe, the gentleman that we prayed over that had the uh, tumor on his kidney, uh, he had surgery and everything was successfully taken care of. So we praise God for that. So, um, yes. And so just continue to pray for Joe and his family. Uh, he's healing now. Uh, and uh, it'll be a little bit of a, about a six-week process um, just with things uh, to get back to normal for him. So just continue to be praying for him. But I thank you for uh, your allowing of uh, being able to go. And, and then several weeks ago when Pastor Walter was over at Friendship. And it, again, it's just a testament to see how God has been answering our prayers uh, for collaboration amongst our churches here in this community. That's one of the reasons we pray for a different church every single week. It's one of the reasons why if something goes on and they have a need, hey, how can we help? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's do this together. And so one thing is positive. We would, for, for sure, we would not be able to reach this community uh, with the power of the gospel without our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And so we need to continue to be working together, and we will as the Lord leads us in doing so. So, uh, if this is your first time with us, or maybe your first time in a while, uh, we are at the very almost end of the book of Leviticus. We've been journeying through the book of Leviticus in this series, Holy God, Holy People, uh, since January, the first Sunday in January. And so by the end of this month, we will conclude this study. And uh, today we are going to be in the book of Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 through 23. So if you want to turn there, you can go ahead and turn there right now. Uh, I've entitled the message today, In His Presence, In His Presence. And and you saw last week coming off of the conclusion of chapter 23, I started it two weeks ago with rest, and then Pastor Walter concluded uh, on Family Sunday, which I understand was a great day for our families, and I I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to continue doing that on those fifth Sundays for the rest of the year and see how things go with it. But I rejoice in what happened uh, last Sunday in that regard. And he finished the, the study of 23 talking about those different celebrations, and I'm grateful for the message that he gave to us. And in today's message, I said we're going to do the entirety of 24 as we continue to journey. And as you know, we like to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Since it is a lengthy passage, I will ask you to remain seated. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us. And then as the verses come up with the different points, I'll read them then uh, so we can continue to journey through this. So if you would, please bow your heads and pray with me. Excuse me. 
Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you right now so grateful. So grateful and thankful, Lord, for who you are. So grateful and thankful, Lord, for what you have done for us. Sending your only begotten Son to this world to live a sinless life. To set a beautiful example of what it means to be holy. And then one day Christ Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, lied about, spat upon, mocked, beaten, and then nailed to a cross, suffering while your wrath was poured out on him. A death that we should have died, Lord, but we who are in Christ, Lord, we come to this place today to sing, to proclaim, this is the house of the Lord, to proclaim just how great you are and how thankful we are, Lord, that we can even do that because of what you have done for us. So, Father, as we have, we have sang our songs of praise to you, and we'll do it again at the end. Lord, as we give in worship to you, however we see fit to do that as you lead. Lord, now we come to this point of worship, Lord, to sit under the reading and teaching of your word. So, Father, I pray during this time, Lord, that you would be glorified. Lord, that you would speak in this place, Lord, that this would be nothing of this sinner that you have saved by your grace, Lord, that, that you would just use me as your vessel. And Father, I pray the same for Pastor Adam at Restoration, Lord, as he's already been in the pulpit once this morning in the earlier service, Lord, I pray for him even now. And I thank you for Restoration and what they're doing in the city of Hanahan. Lord, I thank you for our sister churches here, and I pray, God, that you would continue to use us in this lost and dying community that desperately needs the hope of the gospel. Be glorified now, Lord. We love you and we bless you. May you increase, may we decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Excuse me. <clears throat> There's a frog in my throat. All right. So today for our passage, what we're going to see is we're going to see how we are to live in God's presence, understanding that he is our eternal light, providing fellowship with him as his precious children, as his people. Therefore, we honor him with reverence, continually responding to others with the same love that has been shown to us. So for this passage today, we're going to read the first four verses in just a moment. But if you're taking notes, if you want to put something down for the first section, you can put this for verses one through four. The Lord is our eternal light. The Lord is our eternal light. You may recall from a couple weeks ago when we began chapter 23, we were studying about Sabbath rest. And in that, I made the mention that we have our eternal rest because of what God has done for us through Christ Jesus and his finished work. Well, in this section, we're going to see just how fundamental the presence of God is. And he is an eternal light for us. And these opening verses remind us of that. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. We see there in that first verse of, of verse 1, the same thing that we've seen continually over and over. The Lord spoke to Moses. And, and we've talked about that over and over again, just how beautiful that is that the Lord speaks. And that we get to be ones that receive that speaking, the ones that, that get to hear from Him. For those in Christ that we hear, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we hear from God as we read His Word. His infallible, divinely inspired Word. Now there in verse 2, we see that the Lord wants this pure oil from these beaten olives for the lamp to be brought. Well, what lamp is this? 
You may recall from way earlier in our study of the book of Leviticus, the lamp uh, of the golden lampstand was used in the holy place of the tent of meeting. And this lampstand was otherwise known as the candelabra or the menorah. I'm sure you have seen those before. If you recall, the priests were the only ones that were permitted inside of the tent. And they were the only ones there to go to do these religious rituals that God has continually laid out over and over and over through the beginning of Leviticus. And they're to do these things and, and follow through. But here we see something where it's important for the lay people and how they played a role in this. In fact, these instructions here are for them. Kenneth Matthews, in his commentary, he says this, in this description, if you will, of the lampstand. The lampstand had a striking appearance, being made of pure gold, hammered and shaped into one piece that resembled an olive tree. The lampstand was about five to six feet in height, standing on the floor of the room. On each side of the main trunk of the lampstand were three offshoots that each possessed at its top cups that contained oil lamps. The cups, excuse me, the cups were sculpted so as to appear as almond blossoms. And in each cup, the oil lamp rested. The lamps were filled with olive oil in which the wicks floated for burning. You can just see the picture of this in your mind as you hear that being read. The candlestick, it was the specific shape of that of this budding tree, which symbolized life. It symbolized life. It symbolized the lamp with these candles on it. It symbolized light. And it communicated something very specific to the people. What did it communicate? It communicated to them that God is the source of life and light and that God was always with them. That God was always with them. Look at verses 3 and 4. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. These verses here, they describe what Aaron is to do with the lampstand and the candles. It wasn't to be done necessarily for the Lord. It was there to be done for Aaron as the priest. You see, because God doesn't need light, God is light. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Some of you may remember long before the pandemic hit, if you can remember that far back, we journeyed through the book of 1 John uh, on a study on some Sunday nights, and that, that whole concept of what John writes about there is just so beautiful. You see, the priest here in this moment with this lampstand and these candles being lit, they needed this light to be able to perform their task inside of the tent. These lamps were lit every evening, and in being lit every evening, they burned until morning when they would be extinguished, much of what we just read about. What is common, what is a common word that we see here in these verses? Look back at it. When we read through what we've read so far, there's a word that continually comes up. Regularly. Regularly. This is to be done regularly. Why was that to be the case? Why was it necessary? Well, there was the major message that was conveyed to God's people. 
Having this thing lit regularly was to remind them, as I already said once, that the Lord is with them. He was always watching over them, providing care for them. He was there with his people. Now, I I had to borrow this from Kenneth Matthews when he wrote this part. Because I thought this was so beautiful. This, This another representation, if you will, of that lampstand, of what we see here with the light. One of the things it represents is the creation of light. Genesis 1-3, let there be light. Then also redemption. Redemption. It was a reminder to the nation of Israel that the Lord had rescued them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. That light there, that reminder that God was with them always. That God had not abandoned them. It's the promise to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have never left you. No matter what you face, no matter how difficult tasks may be, I am with you always. A beautiful reminder, and it's so true for us today, because the Lord is always with us. You have to remember the tent of meeting. Right there where it was, it was constructed to represent the presence of God with his people. And this candlelight and this lampstand does the same. Matter of fact, whereas those did that to represent God's dwelling among the people, we can look to Christ Jesus. We can look to Christ Jesus as what? Our eternal light. The one that we have who has come and paid the penalty, the price for us. Dying that death that we should have died. If you haven't had the opportunity to to sit through John's gospel and just read that prologue, at least at the beginning. And if you do, I would encourage you, take the time to memorize it. It is so beautiful and it's such a gracious reminder from God to us of who Christ Jesus is and what God has done. But listen to this. John 1, 1 1-4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word, excuse me, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not over it. It is by Christ Jesus' finished atoning work that we know the eternal light and we experience God's presence on a daily basis for any who are in Christ because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. If you have Christ, if you are in Christ, you have been saved, you have been redeemed, bought by the Lamb's blood that was poured out for you. You understand what it means to have experienced this light. This eternal light. Because we've experienced Christ Jesus and what he has done for us. We have the beauty of God's word. We have the beauty of God's word that is before us that we sit under right now. And this is being preached and prayerfully in your daily lives as you open it and you engage with God. And you spend time sitting and reading through the the scriptures to understand what God is saying to you as he leads you. As the Holy Spirit indwells you and you say, Father, I am here. I'm ready to study your word. Lord, clear my mind. Lord, make things known to me that are in my heart, that are wicked, that are sinful, so I can repent of them. I want to hear from you. What is it that you have to say to me today? 
And by His grace and His mercy, He speaks to us through His Word. We had the beautiful reminder in Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Think about that. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Lord, as I seek you, as I'm following you, as I'm following after to see what direction you're leading me in for whatever it may be, Lord, I'm opening your word and I'm asking you to speak to me, to show me what it is that you would have for me. Your light will illuminate, your word will illuminate the way. You will make it straight. You will direct my paths. The Lord is our eternal light. Secondly, the Lord provides for his people. The Lord provides for his people. Here we're going to see this continual sign of God's presence among His people in the bread that is to be prepared and displayed there in the tent of meeting. This bread can be traced all the way back. If you want to jot it in your notes, it can be traced all the way back to Exodus chapter 25. You can just jot that in your notes and go and read about it in a minute. I'll give you a specific reference in a moment. But in Exodus 25, we read about this bread and where God refers to the bread as what? The bread of presence. The bread of presence. What does that mean? It's referred to as the presence of God among his people. I told you the name of the sermon is in his presence. It's to remind the people of the fact that he is with them, that he will never leave them, that he has been with them always. It was in the holy place of the temple, just outside of the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. You remember we've talked about that through this journey through Leviticus. And it stood the table where the bread would be placed. And this table that was there, it was made of pure gold. I told you I would give you the specific reference. It's Exodus 25, verses 23 through 30. Exodus 25 Verses 23 through 30. I would encourage you to go back and read through that so you understand and get a picture in your mind. And if you have a study Bible, it will probably have a picture there for you to show you these things. But it will lay it all out for you so you have this picture in your mind. If you're like me, I like to have a picture, a visual learner. Let's read verses 5 through 6. You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall, each, shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. They're to bake this fine flour and to make 12 loaves. And what does those 12 loaves represent? It represents the 12 tribes of Israel. God's people. And so they're to bake these things. And these loaves are to be made with two-tenths of an ephah, which is basically 22 liters, which if you still hear that, you're like, I don't know what that means. It's fine. But you hear that is it's this two-tenths of an ephah, these 22 liters for each loaf. And you can picture the loaves in your mind. They're to be in two piles of six each. Verse 7. And you shall put frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. It indicates the placement here of where this is to go. It's to be made for a food offering to the Lord. Each Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. There it is again. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. He is to do this regularly, weekly. He's to go in and do this. It is a symbolic gesture to represent the people's gratitude to God 
and their commitment to him for what he has done for them. Now look at verse 9. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. Aaron and his sons will be the only ones to eat the bread each week. And you notice there it says a perpetual due. It means that this is to be always on the table. A perpetual due. It is to be done regularly. The bread is to be there. Now think about this for a moment, about them eating the bread. As we learned in chapter 3, way back when you got to put your thinking cap on to go way back, but as we learned in chapter 3, this is where the priests would go to eat. And this shows fellowship with God because they are dining in the presence of God. Now, Dr. Alan Mosley, who I've referenced before, he says in his commentary, listen to this, eating with someone signifies fellowship, friendship. People ate portions of the fellowship offering to symbolize that they were at peace with God. The priests at the bread of the presence in the same room. They were enacting their fellowship with God. There were 12 loaves, just like the 12 tribes of Israel. God invited all his people to fellowship with him. When the priests ate 12 loaves of bread in the presence of God, they were enacting the relationship between God and his people, the fellowship God intended to have with his people. It's so beautiful because you have to remember, the priests are there as the mediators between God and man. So they're having this meal, they're eating this bread, and I can just imagine it's probably some really good tasting bread. And they're just enjoying it. But it's to symbolize there a fellowship between man and God because of what God has provided. So beautiful to see. But what does that mean for us today? Does that mean we can go eat all the bread we want? We're having fellowship with God? I mean, you can if you want, but you're going to have a lot of carbs. That's going to be an issue. God has provided for those who have been redeemed through Christ's precious blood poured out for us. And in doing so, he's provided what? His son, the living bread for us. John's Gospel 6.51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You have to understand this, church. The bread of the presence, it was changed out weekly because it would eventually spoil. It had to be done over and over and over. If we're in Christ, there is no spoiled. There's nothing spoiled because our Savior is sinless. We all may be tainted by sin, but we've been shown grace and mercy. You may be here today and you may be watching online. You may say, well, I don't understand that because you have never experienced the risen Christ. And no matter what you go to in this life, no matter what you seek out to bring pleasure or to bring things to make you feel full, it's not good because it will all spoil because it is not eternal. It is not living bread. It is not the one who sustains. It is not Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
He satisfies, listen to this, He satisfies the hunger for our souls. Before we came to know Christ, we were separated from God. Separated. Our souls were yearning for what it was intended to have. What it needs. And God provided that need through His Son. Thanks be to God for that. And here's a reminder that you need to hear as well. No matter if you're in Christ, hear me, if you're in Christ, you may say, well, I'm still going through fill in the blank. And I feel like my soul is on empty. Cry out to the one who has already redeemed your soul that will fill you. He will satisfy your soul. There may be some things that you have to come before him and say, I'm holding on to this. I need to repent. I'm seeking this. I need to repent from that. I don't know what it may be. But God's never left us. He's never forsaken us. We need to remember that he is with us always. And when our souls are longing for that peace that we know he's given to us, we need to run to him. Run to him. Third thing, honor the Lord with reverence. Honor the Lord with reverence. Following God's instruction to the congregation of these symbols of his presence, we see him point out necessary things that are necessity of honoring his name. Look at verse 10. Now an Israelite's woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel, and an Israelite's woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. So they have this issue, they fight. Verse 11. The Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemith, and the daughter of Debri, the tribe of Dan. Verse 12. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be there to clear them, should be clear to them, excuse me. So we see this issue take place. And it's a very serious issue because the person blasphemes the name. The name of God. If your scriptures lay it out just like mine does there, when it says the name, the name is capitalized, capital N. Because it's referencing God's name. Now look at 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. And we may read this and think, Whoa, 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 God, what's going on here? You want him to be stoned? But we have to look at this in full context. The Lord has already established long before this in Exodus, the Ten Commandments, that His name should be honored. It should not be taken in vain. And this isn't just saying OMG. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's not just saying OMG. It's blasphemy and cursing the name of God, what takes place there. What does that mean? 
It means to speak with contempt about God or to be defiantly irreverent. Blasphemy is a verbal or written reproach of God's name, character, work, or attributes. The Lord's name constituted the personhood and the presence of the Lord, and this was indicative to his authority. Matter of fact, as an example, when we go and we baptize someone, we do so what? In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Because it is in that name that we have been transformed, that we have been redeemed. That name is holy. That name is precious. That name is worthy to be praised. I was praying with someone this week. And when we were praying, they, they had some physical things that they had going on, and they just wanted me to just to pray and, and ask the Lord for healing for them. And I was praying, and, and we always say there at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name, because it is through Jesus that we're able to do this. But there was that moment I was just like, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal this. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power. I think sometimes we get, and this isn't just our church, I just think Christians in general, we get so bombarded by life and how heavy things are that we forget the one in whom we serve, the one who has redeemed us, who has saved us and transformed us. We may look at the culture around us and we may see, man, this place is going to hell in a handbasket. It's rough out there. What is going on in our culture? It's so Horrific. But church, we have been commissioned by the one whose name is holy to go and proclaim the good news and to trust him and to be obedient to that name and to know that we are able and willing when God calls us to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel. And it is through that name that people are saved. It is through that name that people are redeemed. So here in this moment when we read this account, this is some serious business. Because this person has blasphemed the name of God. Our God is gracious. Our God is merciful and kind. But when we read this, we may see this and say, man, that, that's really difficult that God would say that person needs to go and be stoned for what they did. And we can picture God as, as our loving Heavenly Father, and He is. I, I've said it several times already today. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. We have to also remember that He is sovereign Lord and He is just. And there are times when we have to see and we read in Scripture those moments of justice. He demands his people to be holy. He demands his people to be holy. If you remember back in chapter 10, it was, it was a difficult part to preach. Back in chapter 10, we see where Aaron's sons, priest, Nadab and Abihu, they go and as God has already laid out for them all throughout what we've read that far up to that point in Leviticus, all the things that God said, he told them to follow the things to a T. And scripture tells us in Leviticus 10 that Nadab and Abihu offer strange fire on the altar 
And in the next verse, they are consumed with fire by God and they die. We read that and we're just like, wow. We have to remember, though, that God wants to be taken at his word. God is holy, therefore he commands his people to be holy. Let's continue reading. I'll continue on that point. 15. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Here God tells Moses of what is to be done. He tells it to the people of Israel that they will bear their sin. Especially in this moment as we read, blaspheming the name of the Lord. And it says there, even the sojourner. You remember as we've been studying, these sojourners would, would tag along. They were there, they, they weren't natives of the land, but God would allow for them to be a part of things. But we have to make something very clear when it comes to this. Because I know this is hard to read and think, wow, like God wants them to stone this man. But here's the reality. And I think we can all attest to this. Your sin and my sin, it has consequences. Our sin has consequences. If, if, if my children do something that they were told not to do, they're going to face what? The consequences for that sin. It's always, it's always funny when I start talking about this stuff because my parents are sitting right here and I think... How many times did I have to pay for the consequence of my sin growing up? They will tell you. They will give you a list of stories. Please don't. But they can give you plenty of accounts of where I was not doing what I was supposed to do. Many a nights that Brian was not good. Sin has consequences. When we sin, we face those consequences. Our God, our Heavenly Father... In the mercy and the grace that he shows us on a daily basis that we don't deserve. He is just and he is a good father. So when we sin against him, the punishment for our disobedience that he would allow, those times of being reminded like, hey, you, you messed up. The correction that he gives, as difficult as it is, to go through, I'm grateful for it. Because what does it do, church? It sanctifies us. It reminds us who we are under our holy heavenly Father. It's a reminder to us that yes, we, we, we face this moment of, of, of being corrected but God still didn't banish us to hell. He's still gracious and loving to us. But sin has consequences. And in this moment, a very severe consequence. Now these deaths in chapter 10 that I referenced and this one here in 24, they're examples to the entire congregation. And as Dr. Mosley says, there weren't just personal sins, but also had a public effect. 
He put the men to death so that all the people would learn not to blaspheme him. You know, an act like that that we read about, it should draw us as followers of Christ to fear. What do you mean? I don't mean a, oh man, I don't want anything to do with God. I'm packing my bags. I'm getting out of Dodge, which that and alone, just like Jonah, is crazy because he's with us always. He sees all things. But it's not this moment of saying, I am terrified of you. I want nothing to do with you. No, it's understanding who he is. We've talked about this before. I understand who you are. I understand who I am in light of you. And I want to honor you for who you are. I want to give you the worthiness that you deserve. I want to cry out to you. I want to surrender to you. I want to have this fearful reverence to you. Because you are God. And because I'm a sinful man that has been saved by your grace. Thanks be to God for you. And having this moment of fearful reverence that does not just keep being a moment, but has continually grown over and over and over that is applicable to our lives on a daily basis. The reality is, church, that we can't treat God like our buddy. We can't treat him like the buddy that we just call him and say, hey, let's go hang out and, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. No, no, no. This is our heavenly Father who died for us. Who saved us from sinful death by His Son's dying on the cross for us. And there's moments you might say, well, we see this moment here, but Brian, there's, there's examples of stuff on TV and, and in the in community and all of that stuff of, of people blaspheming God. And, and for whatever reason, under God's sovereignty, those people he shows patience to. It could very well be that they, they keep doing these things, but, but by God's grace, someone shares the gospel and they come to faith. I, that's under God's sovereignty. That's up to God. But I, I read something in 1 Timothy. For Paul says in 4.16, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Paul's saying there that, that he is like a chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his what? Perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See, the beautiful reality is, church, if you're in Christ, if you know Christ Jesus is Lord, there was a point in your life where you were living your life for you. There was a point where I was living my life for me. That we were blasphemers. That we wanted nothing to do with God. But God in His perfect patience redeemed us. At the right appointed time, God intervened and saved our lives. Saved our souls. So thankful for that. Last thing, and I, I know I'm going long. Let me be quick. Last point. Respond to others in love. Respond to others in love. I'm going to read all of 17 to 23, and then I'll make some comments. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. 
If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury has been, he has been given, a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and they brought out of the camp the one who had cursed and stoned him with stones. Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. We see here that God gives these examples of retaliation, otherwise known as you read there, eye for an eye. This is known as lex talionis, which means the law of retaliation. And there's a couple of things that we need to see and point out here with this. Because you may read that and say, wait a minute, I thought Jesus said something against this. And we'll get to that in a moment. God did not tell the individual people to retaliate when they had been sinned against. Remember, God is talking to the nation of Israel. He's not telling people, hey, if Jim Bob over here hurts your feelings, do the same thing back to Jim Bob. We can see just from a couple chapters ago in Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor, what? As yourself. I am the Lord. It's always those moments you read that and you're like, Okay, see what you're saying. Then he says, I am the Lord. Like, oh, we better take this seriously. We get this same concept from, from similarly to what we see in like a, a judicial system today, finding a person guilty for a crime and then punishing them for the crime. And if you want to go and look through some things in, in, in Scripture about uh, referencing this towards government, you can look at Romans 13. Just read through Romans 13. But God is wanting to make sure that a person guilty of doing a crime is held accountable for their actions, but not to the point where his people go around retaliating for everything that is done against them individually. Now, I told you a minute ago, you might say, well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus said something different to what God's saying here, and here's where it is. It's in Matthew 5, 38 through 41. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. We read those things. We read what Jesus says there and we're like, yeah, but Jesus, you don't know what this person's done to me. And it's hard. Especially if it's a situation where it's like just continual. But we have to read this. We have to understand and say, wait, okay, I've been transformed. I've been redeemed. I can't retaliate. In fact, God, you want me, you want me to turn the cheek and let them do it again. I can't help but stop and think about Jesus. In those moments of being beaten, after being betrayed by Judas, after being nailed to the cross, could have called down a legion of angels with a spoken word, it would have been done. 
But our Savior does not retaliate. Our Savior willingly takes the wrath of God and dies. What an example. One last passage, and then I'm done. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Paul writing to the church at Rome, and he says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in the context of what God is saying here in Leviticus, it's different for us as individual followers. So when someone wrongs you or someone is wronging you, show the same love, grace, and mercy that has been shown to you, as difficult as that may be. God's holy people are to live a life that is just that, holy. God is holy, therefore we have been called to be holy. We are called to live lives of holiness. We honor the Lord by being obedient to him, walking in surrender to him, loving our neighbors as ourselves. We need to look to Jesus as the perfect example of this because as I've said, he willingly went to the cross and suffered and died for us. I look back at this passage from today and I'm just, I'm so thankful that we have the promise that our Lord is with us always. That we have the reminder in Scripture for the, for the people of Israel there of the Lord's continual presence being with them. But then we have the promise for us what Christ has done, that he is with us always, even though we don't deserve it. I'm thankful for that grace and mercy that is shown to us, church. Now, I ask you, as you've heard me speak and, you, and the Lord speak and, and, and whatnot during this time, I ask you, what is God saying to you right now? What is the Lord saying to you? I pray that as you week after week sit underneath the teaching of God's word, that you would not let it be said for that moment. You would check the list and that you would go off and do whatever you want. But you would take these things and that you would truly listen as God is speaking and be obedient to what he's telling you. And I understand that sometimes it's difficult to hear things. I'm grateful that we have Walter here because I get to sit underneath Biblical teaching. And there's time when God speaks, and I listen, and I have to listen. And it's difficult at times. But I ask you, what is God telling you? What has God been telling you through this study? I know we have a few more weeks, but what has he been speaking to you? Has he been saying something to you week after week, over and over? Maybe today's the first time that you, you, you're hearing what he's been saying. I would just encourage you, don't... Don't let it just be another thing that passes by. If the Lord is speaking, be obedient to what he's telling you to do. 
If he's calling you to repentance, repent. If he's calling you to surrender, surrender. If he's calling you to step out in faith and trust him, he hasn't abandoned you yet. Step out and trust him. We're going to take a moment. We're just going to quietly stop and reflect and pray. And then I'll close this in prayer and the band will come forward and we'll sing, I give you my heart. Let's, let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Father, for showing us the example of holiness through you. Thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity because of what you have given to us, Lord, to be redeemed, to be saved, to be transformed because of the good news of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. Thank you, Lord, as we come to your word and the Holy Spirit leads us, Lord, as we read your word, Lord, that you reveal things to us, Father things of of needed repentance, Lord, things of walking in obedience to surrendering our lives, Lord, whatever it may be, Father, stepping out in faith. Knowing, Lord, that you are in control of all things, Lord, I pray right now for those within the sound of my voice, whether it's in this room or online, Father, I pray, Lord, that as you are speaking, Ears would be opened. Hearts would be opened. Father, if there are hard hearts, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would revive those hearts. Father, however you need to move and work during this time, Lord, we give it to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak. We are so grateful for you, Lord. We are humbled that we have been redeemed, those who are in Christ. And we love you. And we honor you for who you are. Have your way, O Lord. We love you and we bless you in Christ's strong name we pray. Amen. Stand with us, church, as we sing.